Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Today, we are going to continue our discussion regarding African-Americans and breast cancer by talking with a therapist and Faith Through Fire partner, LaTanya Coates-Smith, about the potential emotional needs of black women and how they may differ in some ways from other women based on their previous experiences or beliefs. Yep. So we'll start with generational beliefs and patterns about accessing health care. So these are any barriers that women might have in accessing care. And then we're going to talk about the culture of resilience and tolerance for dealing with emotional and physical pain and beliefs with regard to managing health in the African-American community. Finally, we'll wrap up with how these beliefs impact the family or the caregiver and the response to those health issues. So before we introduce Latanya, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, Ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. So we are back. Our guest today is Latanya Coates-Smith, the founder and clinician for Embrace Healing and Wellness Therapy in St. Louis and St. Charles County. Latanya believes embracing healing and wellness is key to maximizing your potential. And as a therapist and educator, she helps clients understand the underlying factors contributing to unresolved issues within their own personal lives. So, and her goal is to provide a holistic approach, which is my favorite, Mm -hmm. to treatment by assessing the individual's environment as well as their mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Latanya. How are you? I am doing awesome. Oh, good. That's so good to hear. Thank you for being here today. We appreciate (laughs) it. Yes. How are you ladies doing? Oh, good. So we like to start off any guest interviews with some icebreaker questions. So we didn't really prep you for these. So these are going to kind of come at you from out of left field, which is kind of fun. So our first question, just to get to know you and to get to know us, do you believe in ghosts? Ooh, you came out with the the hard one. I did. That's a hard one right (laughs) away. (laughs) Are you a ghost? Are you a believer in ghosts, Latanya? am to a certain extent. I, I am. I am. I, I believe in spirits. I believe that once we transcend from earth, we our spirits still rest. So I, I wouldn't say just kind of like ghosts, like, ooh, like we think of like <laughs> Casper. OK, so you're not you're not going the scary route. You're going kind of like the eternal route. I yeah. gotcha. I also believe in ghosts and the scary kind. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but I don't know. That's what society has done to us. It has taught us that yeah. ghosts are bad and they're scary. I know. Yeah. I know. But yeah. I don't have any I haven't yeah. had any bad experiences. Yeah. I just, you know, it's one of those yeah. things where yeah. I I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it, but I do believe in it. Yeah. How yeah. about yeah. how about you, Sarah? You know, I'm in Latanya's boat. Like I think that they are I believe in like the spirits and energy around you and and those being there to help you. But I I actually maybe that's me trying to avoid like scary things in my life. But I don't believe that in like the scary ghosts. OK, so what activity helps you relieve stress? Ooh, I love to <laughs> dance. Oh, um, that's so, a good one. Yes, yeah. yes. And laughter. I love mm. to laugh. I feel like I as been... you're older, it's harder to like have those authentic belly laughs like that just but they're so <laughs> soothing. Like mm-hmm. when you have that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So comedy is my world. I, I it's it's a great antidote to any s- sort of stressor you're dealing with. So if I've had a long week, I tell myself I'm not taking in anything serious. Um, oh, when I, I get home, that. I just want to just not be thinking, you uh-huh. know, because I think a lot. <laughs> yeah. All day, right? I'm curious so, about I'm curious about what kind of dance you like. Well, right now I am taking Zumba classes. Yes. So I um oh. yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes. So you and Sarah have rhythm and I have no rhythm. Oh no, 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 no. I have no rhythm. I just like to pretend like I do in Zumba. <laughs> I've never done we- Zumba. I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe we all have our own rhythm. It's just yes. me. Oh, <laughs> I have you, you already. <laughs> That's funny. What about you, Beth? I mean, I'd love to read. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm kind of with Latanya on this as well. Like anything comedic, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if I mm-hmm. come home after a long day and my husband has on something serious like the news or just like a really oh, yeah, serious no. movie, mm-hmm. I'm just like, nope, I need some like Big Bang Theory or something. Yeah. Complete, you know, <laughs> yeah. completely just light and just yeah thoughtless yeah you know so something to just kind of bring me to a better place how about you what do you do i mean you guys could guess this yoga i mean i do yoga i'll go lift heavy weights i go for a run probably running is number one because i can step out although now that we're talking about the things that we listen to and that we put in i like to listen to dateline podcasts while i run so that adds the stress back to my run but you know, oh. typically I like to jam Mm-mm. out to some music and yeah, I need music if I'm going to exercise. Yeah, I like to relieve stress with my body. Oh, yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yes. Well, that's a little well, about us. Yes. Well, I will tag on with that. I am doing hot yoga now. <laughs> <gasps> yes. I love it. You guys, there is nothing that sounds more miserable than that. Oh, it's so <laughs> no. When you leave, though, it's like cleansing. It's like jumping it into is. a cold bath or something when you get out you're like yeah. man that really sucked but you know what now i feel yeah even better yeah it is <laughs> it's something it's something wild about it so yeah. when you're going into it you're like oh man this is brutal but when you come out it is definitely reviving oh my yeah. god yes you gotta try it yeah. you gotta try it <laughs> all right maybe sarah can drag me to one, one yes. and i'll be a yes. co- i'll yes. get converted i don't know <laughs> All right. Well, in our last episode, we discussed statistics with Dr. Lannis Hall regarding health disparities and breast cancer care between black women and their white counterparts. So today I'd kind of like to start by touching on what you see as a therapist, LaTanya, regarding generational beliefs and patterns about accessing health care in the African-American community. What are your thoughts on that? There's definitely several factors, but one in particular that I want to focus on is just a history of resilience 
that African Americans and maybe, you know, just I would say just American society as a whole (laughs) have become accustomed to dealing with atrocity in their own way that's outside of therapy. In particular to the African-American culture, I would say that there is kind of like an unspoken thing of, you know, kind of what happens here stays here. So kind of like the Vegas mentality about dealing with family issues, personal matters, which thus creates a heavy burden within the family, which we'll get into later on when we get into talking about caretaker roles um, within the family. And so what it does, unfortunately, it does, when you're used to dealing with atrocity in this way, it doesn't necessarily give you access to the right tools needed to deal with those atrocities effectively. That's interesting. I, my first experience with hearing this was Mm -hmm. when I started Faith Through Fire and I was talking to a African-American surgeon Mm -hmm. and her nurse who was also African-American. And she said something Mm -hmm. that really struck me. She said, uh, the nurse said this. She said, you know, Mm -hmm. with our white patients, our white breast cancer patients, when we tell Mm -hmm. them, hey, here's all these resources available to you to help you to to make this easier on you. She goes, they grab onto it like it's a life raft and they will, they will call and put all these resources in place. And she's like, and with our black patients, they don't take us up on these resources. And she's Mm -hmm. like, it's a huge frustration for us because Mm -hmm. it makes a difference in how well they handle the journey. And she's like, I'd really love to get to a point where they Mm -hmm. feel as comfortable as their white counterparts at Mm -hmm. asking for help. And that was my first indication. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know this as a white woman. I didn't realize that, that there was that difference in Mm -hmm. perception Mm -hmm. about asking for help. And Yes. I had trouble asking for help. I mean, I, I really did. But I I would I plowed through and I was really glad I did. So the so mm-hmm. when I, I hear what you're saying because that was brought up to me very early in the inception of Faith Through Fire and I found it really yes. fascinating. Yes, yes. And you are touching on some other points too that I want to go into that really perpetuate that cycle of not reaching out. So, you know, as a society, right, we have this stigma on mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we are still struggling as a society with dealing with mental health in a effective way. You know, even, you know, we have these mass shootings and whatnot, and we're still not taking it serious. Mm-hmm. Like we would if you had an arm that got, the, um, you know, broken. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a broken arm, you're going to go into the hospital, you know, or to your doctors and try to get it fixed. You're going to go through all the physical therapy you need so that arm can work the way that you are accustomed to it working. We don't give the same credence to mental health. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to our spiritual health. And I was actually speaking with a client recently And I get very taken back how we separate the mind, the body, and the spirit. Mm -hmm. And we can't, we can't afford to do that anymore because they are not to be separated, at least in my perspective and what I've seen is that when you are mentally going through something, it affects you physically. Mm -hmm. When you're physically going through something, it affects you mentally. And then if we want to swing in spiritual being of us, that is also impacted. So if our mm-hmm. spirit is disturbed, that's going to create anxiety. It's going to create a depressed mood. It's mm-hmm. going to create aches and, and pains in your body. So all of it is one unit, but we tend to separate it out. So this takes me to my next point of, and my colleague said this best. She said, within our 
community, there is a religious blind faith. And she described that as not looking at faith as an action, but that this big boom thing is going to happen and uh, all our problems are going to go away. So if I just, and and I I don't want to take this out of, for it to be taken wrong, but if I just continue to pray on it without action, Mm -hmm. then, you know, because faith is action Mm -hmm. all day, every day. So if we're not putting our faith to action, then there's not going to be much that's going to come from that. And if we don't have the right tools to tap into making that action come to life, right? Mm -hmm. Then we're back stuck just praying with no action. And so that's where that religious blind faith walks in and it consumes many of us in a way that is anti-productive to us accessing the mental health services that we need. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard for anybody to say that they need help and to want help and, and to come right. from a stigma where the family say, you know, we keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. How do you know? And we talk about this. I've talked about this on the podcast. It's hard for mm-hmm. somebody to you know, lay down their guard and, and be vulnerable and say right, that I need right. help. But when your entire right. family, that's how you've always operated. You know mm-hmm. what? How do you say that actually asking for help is you building resiliency? Right. Exactly. So one of the things, you know, that the African-American community has dealt a, a lot with is trust. Mm-hmm. Trusting that if I go here, I'm going to get the help that I need. I don't want my time to be wasted. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be misperceived. So, and I trust you enough to put my life concerns in your hand. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that teaching to that, speaking to that is the, the biggest thing, you know, because it's one thing to say, oh, you need to go and, and tap into all of these different resources that I'm handing you, right? But <laughs> if the person is leaving that office and doesn't feel like they can trust Mm-hmm. that other person with that information that they need to share, they're not going to follow up. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's one of the biggest barriers that have has been there within the African-American community is that trust factor. I mean, look at the history that African-Americans have dealt with when it comes to accessing resources and then being misused or mistreated in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, uh, would scare anybody off, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so rebuilding that trust factor. And so I get very excited every time that someone reaches out to me and it was like, you know what, it's been such a long, long time that I've been dealing with this, but I just been afraid. Mm-hmm. And so in my dialogue with them through the consultation, I talk to them about that trust factor. I talk to them that we are in this together. It's not a hierarchy. So you're not going to see me here and I'm there, mm-hmm. you know, you're there, you know, it's, it's, we're working collectively together on your issues and you know your your life, your story better than I do. Mm-hmm. And so it's not me coming in being the judger over you. It's mm-hmm. me teaming up with you. Well, yeah. and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, LaTanya, because I think the medical community often attributes these disparities in care to lack of education. Like if mm-hmm. you just understood how important it is to get a mammogram mm-hmm. or if you just understood how mm-hmm. important it is to go through chemo. But I think mm-hmm. the piece that's missing from what I can see is that connection. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what you just mm-hmm. touched on. It's exactly. that if you relay information, mm-hmm. but somebody doesn't trust you or feel exactly. connected to you, it's not exactly. going to go anywhere. And exactly. I, I see 
see these efforts being made to kind of mm-hmm. educate the community. And I keep thinking mm-hmm. it's not about education. It's about feeling connect. that trust and that connection mm-hmm. as connect. another human being and knowing that somebody's got your back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I think that if we approached it with more of a humanistic approach, that maybe we wouldn't see quite so many disparities. And I don't know if you agree mm-hmm. with that or not. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because connection is where it's at. It's at the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and, and and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm because I, I started off too talking about not knowing the right to. So you have to have the knowledge base. So what often happens within African-American communities is that we rely heavily on our family, mm-hmm. friends, yeah. church, as a source of support. And a lot of times those entities don't have the capabilities or the know-how to navigate mental health issues in the way that a you know a professional would that's mm-hmm. been you know trained and whatnot in, in these different areas. And so that creates a, a big fall for not only that individual who's trying to get help from these different family members and friends and whatnot, but it also makes the family and friends feel helpless mm-hmm. because they don't know what answers to give. And I hear it so often from clients like, man, you know, I tried to talk to my mom about this or I talked to my sister about this and they're just tired of hearing about it. Well, the reality of it is they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. You know, and so that, yes, there's definitely a value in having the knowledge base there, but it has to be coupled with that connection that we're speaking on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's basically what Faith Through Fire was built on was connecting mm-hmm. over a shared experience. And yes. it doesn't matter your color. If you're connecting over a breast cancer diagnosis, you can always speak on a level that I've been there. I've done that. It doesn't matter what your family right. looks like or, you know, yeah, exactly. what your background. So, yeah, Absolutely. So before we discuss resilience to pain and the family caregiver response, let's do some boobs in the news. Let's do do it. You want to do it? Latani, do you want to do boobs in the news with us? Break it up with a little funny. Let's see if we can get a belly laugh. There you go. All right. So boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. You guys ready for this? Let's do it. Lay it on me. All right. This this has to do a little bit. Uh, it's on the heels of Lent. Do you know what Lent is? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> it's what comes out of your dryer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not Lent. Lent, Sarah. All right. For those you're welcome. <laughs> Belly laugh achieved. There you go. All right. For those who are listening who don't know, Lent is like the preparation for Easter in Christian church. So it begins on Ash Wednesday and it's basically the six and a half weeks prior to Easter. Okay. So the reason I bring this up is that the title of this is Man Loses More Than 30 Pounds Drinking Only Beer During Lent. Oh, no. So often people will give something up for Lent. And this man... He gave up food except for beer? Right. Oh, no. So this in- is a bad choice. <laughs> so he gave up He gave up doing eating anything except for beer during Lent. And he lost 30 pounds. That, you guys, this is not wow. a diet. Don't do it. How, look, at, look at it. So, Latanya, you can't see it, but see his before and after? Wow. He, he kind of looks amazing. Wow. Oh, he that's kind, he kind of looks good. That, I mean, you guys, he's not chisel, chiseled or anything, but he definitely dropped weight. And yeah, he dropped wow. a lot of weight. So do you think that Nikki is our nutritional nutritionist on our survivorship support network? Do you think she would approve? Uh, no. Approve of him? No. <laughs> this is like that Super Size Me documentary. Like, yeah. don't don't do it. Documentary. 
Documentary. Documentary. No, no. Oh my gosh. Latanya, weigh in here. <laughs> documentary. That documentary. Is not- no. Documentary. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Documentary. Documentary. There you go. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, this man appears to look very healthy, but oh, let's geez. just agree that on the inside, probably not so not much. Not so much. That's our boobs in the news. His veins are full of beer. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. All right, we are back. Okay, so let's continue our discussion. I want to just touch on this um, before we go to our last sponsor. I because we had we mentioned it a couple times, but talking about how everything that we've talked about, how does it impact or does it impact in the same way a caregiver? Does it affect them in the same way? I would definitely say sometimes it can even be worse. Mm. When you think of someone who is dealing with renal failure and we'll say mom is in renal failure and you have a, a daughter who is working as a nurse and trying to manage her life with her children, her spouse or partner, and the mother is going to need extensive care. So there's now a big decision that's weighing on this daughter. Okay, do I bring her home with me? And sometimes it's not even a question of, do I bring her home? It's like, she is coming home. Mm -hmm. What do I do at this point now that I have this another responsibility in my life that I know that it's going to really take a lot out of me? So going into you, you kind of think about, man, this is going to be a lot. But then when you get into it, it is overwhelming. So what I've seen, you know, is individuals, they will take it all on themselves and they won't tap into those external resources or they will try to pull in other family members to help out, which, you know, that can work, you know, but sometimes it can also become, you know, a, a challenge. And so what ends up happening with that caregiver is they begin to exhibit physical symptoms. So they get, they're getting headaches. They're feeling a lot of stress, not only physically, but mentally. They have conversations where I just need a break. And then they go to the doctor and they begin to find out that they're dealing with hypertension mm. and, and all those other variables that come along with you not being able to self-care. Mm-hmm. So with a caregiver being in that type of environment without the necessary resources on board to help mom, that caregiver begins to get dulled down mm-hmm. physically, then mentally and emotionally and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so, right. So, so now I'm, it's like double duty. You've got, you've got the person who's duty. dealing with it's the actual duty. health and the caregiver is basically feeling like they're dealing with the person mm-hmm. with the health issue while they are now also developing their own health issues. Yeah. I, yeah. I, okay. I get that makes sense. I mean, when I went through treatment, I actually, there were multiple times where I thought this has to be harder on my husband than it is on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just saw certain yeah. things play out where I thought that's got to be so much harder on him to watch this mm-hmm. unfold mm-hmm. than it does to actually right. be the person it's happening to in some circumstances. So what I'm right. hearing is that 
you know, we're focusing on the patient, but what I'm really mm-hmm. hearing is that the caregivers need to also be mm-hmm. open to mm-hmm. getting help and to going yes. and seeking maybe a therapist who yes. can help them manage mm-hmm. these emotions so mm-hmm. that they don't have yeah. a, you know, emotional or physical fallout. Yep. Yeah. And I yeah. wonder yes. how many actually seek that kind of support. I wonder how many mm-hmm. caregivers actually seek support in, in those really tough decisions because it's it's very difficult yeah. to watch somebody you love mm-hmm. go through that. It's hard being, right. I mean, I remember being the myself the person who was like, I need a counselor. I need to go talk to somebody. And I was the person who went through it. So I can imagine the mm-hmm. denial from a caregiver mm-hmm. going, I need help mm-hmm. when they're watching their loved ones oh. struggle. Like, my okay, now I need help? Yeah. Like, that doesn't compute. No, yeah. my husband used to say exactly. that all the time because I would always do these check-ins with him. Like, hey, we've, right. you know, this has been really stressful. Mm-hmm. You've handled it like awesome. Yeah. But I really mm-hmm. think you're underestimating the impact mm-hmm. this is having on you. Yeah. How do you feel about, mm-hmm. you know, talking to somebody about it or ask, you know, I would even just say, go out with a friend for a drink, yes. you know, for yeah. a drink. Yes. Like, will you please leave the yes. house and go out? And he would always say, I, it's I, no, he's like, I'm fine. You're the one going through everything. I'm OK. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave you to go yeah. meet a friend right now. Yeah. You know, this is what this is what a mm-hmm. husband does. Yeah. You know, if you're right. for, if you're fortunate enough to have a really good marriage and a strong husband mm-hmm. that's, you know, mm-hmm. in it with you. I mean, he was like, right. no way am I going to take time out for myself right. when you're going through this. Right. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, I'm still telling him that five years later, I'm like, hey, I think, you know, these are some reverberations from what we went through. Mm-hmm. You know, you, right. need, you need some right. self-care. Yeah. Yes. Because self-care is so important. If we can't care for ourselves, then we can't care for others mm-hmm. to the best of our ability. And you were lucky enough to have a husband that understood that and to like mm-hmm. you and your husband I to mean, be he, able to, to hold each other accountable to that. But yes. I guess, you know, to to Latonia's point, it's like if you don't have a family that understands what you're going through, they're not going to be able to tell you how to get help in that. Like or mm-hmm. how or when you need to go have a drink or right. when you don't need right. to go what have a drink. Like? Yeah. So, right. yeah. What does that look like? And when does it look yeah. like? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I just got to the point where I had to sit there and say to my friends and family, like, no, you're you're used to me not asking for help, but this is a circumstance I can't handle on my own. So you're going to see me do something out of character for myself. I'm going to ask yeah. for help. Yeah. And, yeah. and then not being afraid yeah. to say what that help specifically needs to right. look like. I need yeah. you mm-hmm. to pick the kids up from school and keep them for a couple mm-hmm. hours so I can sleep. Yeah. I need mm-hmm. you to come over and fold my laundry for me because, you know, yeah. it's not it's, happening. It's yeah. taking over the house, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, you know, and when we don't when we don't utilize our support systems to the best of our ability, right? We, we we send a message to our support system that I don't need, I don't need you in that way and that you're not important to me in that way. And, and what that, that person doesn't get a chance to grow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love your point though, because I, I think we don't talk about it a lot, but men need to feel needed. Yeah. Yes. And, and they, not yes. just men. I mean, yes. our friends are so like, to yes. your point is yes. our support yes. system needs to feel needed. Yes. Because I know mm-hmm. when somebody asks me for help, I feel mm-hmm. like a hundred bucks. Like I yes. feel uh, like a better version of me because somebody wa- needs me. Somebody wants me. And we need to remember that, yeah, it maybe takes some vulnerability on your side, but you're making mm-hmm. that person feel better by being needed. Yeah. So. Being yes. just, nothing makes you feel worse than somebody mm-hmm. that's very dismissive. Yeah. You yes, know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. whether you are intentionally or not intentionally, we have to become aware of how our actions are impacting others. Yeah. And that sure. comes down yeah. to asking for help. 
you know, we have to become aware of, okay, are we putting ourselves in situations with other people that we deem very dear and near to us mm-hmm. as not mm-hmm. as important enough to help us? Yeah. Yeah. You make so many good points. So before we conclude for today and talk about how you can ask for help and find the right therapist for you, let's hear from our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next-day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. And we're back. So let's talk about choosing a therapist that's right for you. People get a little uncomfortable when we start making decisions based on race. But in the context of what we've discussed today regarding the potential differing beliefs or attitudes found in some African-American homes right now, what are your thoughts, Latanya, about how might some black patients find it more comfortable to talk with a therapist who shares their race? Do you feel like that's a factor that we should consider? Oh, yes. You know, because one of the things, you know, that I have heard from black clients that I've worked with is that they wanted somebody that looked like them. Mm -hmm. They wanted somebody that they felt like could relate to them because they looked like them. So that was the assumption going into it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so therefore they gave it a try. And so, you know, that's one of the, you know, just you know, just um, good, bad, right or wrong or indifferent. That's just how we kind of work. We, we, we look for commonalities, you know? And so when we're trying to build trust, that is, you know, a, a helpful way for people to begin to reach out when they mm-hmm. can see, hey, there's somebody out there that, you know, I, I, can, I can see is, you know, possibly having some relatability to what I'm dealing with. Why don't I give them a call and say, okay, can you help me with this? Mm. And that's the dialogue that I've had with many people when they reach me, you know, out on therapy for black girls, you know, they, they will say, I found you on therapy for black girls, you know, so they purposely went to a site that they felt comfortable enough to reach out to someone. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to make sure that everyone heard that. So there is a great website called therapy for black girls. So therapy for black It's a website where you can, you know, find therapists. And and really, they say that a great therapist client relationship makes therapy Mm -hmm. even more successful. So it's a great place to go if you are looking for someone. And if you want a culturally competent therapist that understands your issues, just like we talked about today, you know, use that as a resource. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's true. I mean, we do Mm -hmm. gravitate toward the people that make us feel most comfortable. And when you're talking about mental health, there is nothing more important than your relationship with a therapist Mm -hmm. that you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. being vulnerable with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's the most vulnerable parts of us, you Mm -hmm. know, our emotional and mental well-being. Right. And so you want to try to uh, create an atmosphere as most conducive to you as possible in delivering, you know, what you need to (laughs) put out there into the universe. You know, so I think that's so important. So in addition to finding you on Therapy for Black Girls, how else can they reach you, LaTanya? I, so I have my own website is EmbraceHealingAndWellnessTherapy.com. So again, it's Embrace Healing and A-N-D 
EmbraceHealingAndWellnessTherapy.com. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And then I'm also on Psychology Today. Okay. So if you just put in Psychology Today and you put my name in, it will pop right up. And I actually have two locations that I work out of. So I work in the St. Charles County area as well as serving the St. Louis area. Great. And you do you do take insurance, correct? I take insurance as well as private pay. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I do. I take a lot of insurances. So if you go onto either of those websites, you will be able to see the different insurances that I provide. All right. And we're having a couple of sound issues. So I'm going to have you say your website one more time. Okay, it's Embrace Healing and A-N-D Wellness Therapy.com. So Embrace Healing and Wellness Therapy.com. And I just wanted to also add to, there is an, another valuable resource, Therapy for Black Men. Ah, good. Yes, is that related? I came across is that, that related last to the year. other? Is that I, I don't think so, but there it is. I believe it's a black couple that sponsors that. Yeah. So I came across it last year and I was like blown away. So it's a gem. Yeah. When we're talking about caregiver support and needing that mm-hmm. extra yes. support. Okay. So therapy mm-hmm. for black mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, so thank you for being here, Latanya. Thank you. It's been so yes, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was an honor. Next time we'll finish up our series by talking to a group of black women about their own experience with breast cancer and the nonprofit that helped them. Until next time, guys. See ya. If you are a breast cancer survivor and you love besties with breasties, make sure you join our survivorship support network at faiththroughfire.org to gain access to exclusive episodes that are ad-free and uncensored.